You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. From that uh, video clip on Emmanuel, you can see why Charles Spurgeon was called the Prince of Preachers. Amazing ministry and... uh, particularly as it was narrated there, sometimes a little hard to read, but uh, that was quite outstanding what he said about Emmanuel. Well, this morning I'm going to minister on something that would or should interest most of us. I've titled my message, It's All About You. It's all about you, and in a sense, Christmas is all about us. It's all, the world has made it all about commerce and uh, gifts and children, but God's heart in Christmas was that it was all about us when he sent his son. And uh, originally I was going to have each person say to their neighbour, it's all about you, but I thought I might upset some of the wives. Because they already know that the husband knows it's all about them, and if there's something that doesn't need reinforcing, that's it. Regardless of that, turn to your neighbour and say, it's all about you. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 8 and in the course of the message you'll understand why it's all about you and we're going to read from verse 40 to verse 55. I haven't preached from the Gospels for some time and uh, this morning I'm excited, I'm excited to speak from the Gospels and focus on the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitudes welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come To his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now, a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border. Of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng. You impress you when you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. 
Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. But when he put them out, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. We have here two miracles, two healings, two incidents that are related in history, in time, in the day. And these two miracles are not only related because they occurred at the same time, but they are also related because the little girl had just finished living the 12 best years of her life. The woman with an issue of blood had just concluded the 12 worst years of her life. And Jesus steps into that situation, united by the number of 12, which in Scripture talks about completeness and fullness. And here we have, in a sense, the epitome of human suffering and human need. This ruler of the synagogue, Jarius, it was his only daughter. She had lived those 12 sweet, innocent, beautiful years to the age of 12. Her whole life stood before her and suddenly... It was taken from her. Here was human need at its pinnacle. Then you have this woman with an issue of blood that, that had spent 12 years battling this illness that, that separated her and ostracized her from society. And she had come to the point where those 12 years of human need were ended when she met the master and touched the hem of his garment. I'm one of those rare people that find it easy to procrastinate. (laughs) I like things to be ideal, to be perfect, to everything to be ready. The weather to be right, no third party interference. 
I like a situation and in that situation I thrive. Unfortunately, it rarely occurs because all those ingredients do not come together so easily and often it just doesn't work. I remember when I first started ministry and uh, I'm quite a messy preparer on my office desk. I like books and commentaries and I'll have a pile of them and normally when I finish preparing I leave them there and then when I've got to come back and prepare another message for another Sunday I've got to get the office and the desk right. I can't prepare the message if I've got all that clutter and mess and so uh, methodically I put the books where they should be and, and finally the desk is perfect but I'm worn out. I'm worn out, so I have to continue later on. You know, when it comes to procrastination, we can procrastinate spiritually, we can procrastinate by always living in the future that someday our expectations of God will be met. That maybe this week's not my week. Maybe it's going to be in six months' time. When the new year comes, that's when it's going to happen. That's when I'm going to get my life together. That's when I'm going to correct the things that I need to correct. That's when God's going to answer all my prayers. And we can be living constantly in the future. Yes, I'm going to get all this from God, but not quite now because I'm not ready. Everything's not ideal for it. And I'm just going to have to wait it out. How many of you know that's not how God wants us to live? And you know, sometimes we allow things in our life that can hinder the promises and the promises, yeah, and the ideals, ideal expectations that God has, you know, put in our hearts. And, and, and you know, and, and the way we live, it does not promote God doing those things in our life. I had an experience just a couple of weeks ago, not, not a rare experience, it kind of frequently happens, that I came home and things seemed a little bit icy, right? My wife was sitting down and uh, communication was sparse and body language told me something's not right. I've upset my wife. Well, it, it, it was something simple. Usually it is something that, you know, the wife feels that maybe you don't care for her enough. And I realised, now what was I going to do? I had the option that I normally take nothing. <laughs> right? And let it run its course. And I know after a number of days, things will gradually get back to normal. But the problem I had was I was preaching in a couple of weeks and I was going to focus on areas like this and I thought, God, I have an impasse here. How am I going to sort this out that God can bless me when I'm here? How can God bless me if I'm going to let this thing be undone and remain as it is? And so 
I was thinking, and uh, she that night tried something uh, that she normally makes. It's a favourite for the whole family, and normally it takes a whole day. And she discovered a way of doing it in a fraction of the time. And it was nice, and so I praised her. I said, this is wonderful, it tastes great, look at... And you know, it was broken. That's all it needed. There was no more icy atmosphere. And instead of, for a couple of days, feeling "Hmm, things aren't quite right, suddenly everything was right. And you know, there, there, there are things that we can allow to remain in our lives that can really hinder the blessing of God. The story that we have before us of this woman with an issue of blood is recorded in three of the four Gospels. And sometimes you may wonder about the repetition of the stories and the miracles and the healings we have in Scripture. There are two reasons for that. One was that God had to make sure that the story of Jesus and his ministry and works was totally accurate, credible, and would be accepted for all time. Even though you have similar stories, you do not have identical words. And the stories of the Gospels and the ministry of Jesus have been looked into by some of the greatest legal minds. And they have all come to the conclusion that we have a true and accurate account of the life and ministry of Jesus. It's not just stories copied from someone else. And so we have four Gospels that share a lot of information that's similar but from different human standpoints that just prove the authority and the authenticity of the Word of God. The other reason is that I believe there are stories and incidents in the life of Jesus that the Holy Spirit so loves. And as these writers were penning what they'd heard, what they investigated, the Holy Spirit prompted them to certain stories and certain incidents that that somehow show what God can do and the greatness of God and the intervention of God. And I believe this is one of those stories. You know, when God looks at his word and looks, God's not limited to time. And God can see the Holy Spirit, that they can see the actual historical event that took place over 2,000 years ago. And the stories that are repeated are the stories that I'd like to feel are the ones that excited God the most, the ones that reveal the most about the wonder of Christ, the ones that showed how eager God was to intervene in human situations and change lives. And I believe this is one of those stories. 
Apart from the terrible affliction of constant bleeding, this woman's condition made her unclean. Now, from a Jewish point of view, this woman could not have suffered from any more terrible and humiliating disease than the issue of blood. In Leviticus 15, from verse 25 to 27, we're told that a discharge made a woman unclean, every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of impurity and everything on which she sits shall be unclean and whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. This unfortunate illness that she had made her unclean and as unclean she was virtually untouchable. She could not experience normal communication with fellow human beings. Anyone she touched was unclean. Anything she touched and someone else touched made that person unclean. And they were unclean until they bathed, until the day had finished. And this poor lady with this medical condition that, that came upon her could not enjoy the, the wonders of, of life as a normal person does. One of the things that we love is the experience of touch and probably ladies, women are, are more touch people than, than we men are apart from when it comes to your grandchildren. And, you know, we just kind of love them to death. This lady couldn't embrace her family and kiss them. This woman, if she had a husband, was unable to have any contact, physical contact. This woman was unable to let little children run to her and take them in her arm and hug them and, and just love them and let those children embrace and hug her. She couldn't do that because of the condition that she found herself in. A woman with an issue of blood was unclean. Everything and everyone she touched was infected with the uncleanness. She was utterly shut off from the worship of God and from the fellowship of other men and women. And this deprived her of the wonderful experience of touch. She was excluded from social gatherings of any kind. And when you consider this condition, it's no wonder that she spent all her money going to the doctors, seeking a cure. And it's interesting that Mark tells us that she spent all her money and she wasn't cured, but she was made worse. Her condition became worse. But Luke, who was a physician, a trained doctor, was kinder to the medical profession and he said she spent all her money and the physicians could not make her well 
And so this lady who was probably a lady of means, a lady of wealth, had spent all that she had, had now become destitute for the one thing she wanted was to be healed of her condition and come back and enjoy normal human communication and contact. Her sickness not only brought her into poverty, With no means of livelihood, how could she work? She couldn't touch. But also her natural beauty had been ravaged by 12 years of blood loss. She would have looked anemic, gaunt and prematurely old and frail. But I want to tell you that a woman who was willing to spend all she had on a cure and suffered the absurd treatments of medicine in that day, did not give up. Her failure in finding help from man turned her to God. It may very well be that Jairus, Jairus, however, the leader of the synagogue, that... Jesus was on a mission to go to his home because his 12-year-old only child, only daughter was dying. It may have very well been that this woman had come to that synagogue and wanted some help and not closely but maybe from a distance asked, what do the scriptures say? What do the law and the prophets, what help can they give me in in this condition of uncleanness and unwellness? And then he'd come back and there are 12 healings recorded in the Old Testament. Not a lot. Jesus would have performed those in one day. 12 healings in the entire Old Testament. Then there are a number of good verses, but... The healings were normally associated with a prophet of God, a mouthpiece of God, someone that was anointed, someone like Isaiah, someone like Elijah and Elisha, men of God, but for 400 years there had not been an inspired utterance in the land of Palestine. The Old Testament scriptures had come to an end. No one had the anointing of the Holy Spirit and what the Old Testament gave in terms of the few healings by men of God, they were non-existent. Then she looked at maybe some of the scriptures and then finally, if it was Jairus, Jairus, there was a scripture in Malachi 4.2 that I think struck her heart. And in Malachi 4.2, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and prophetic revelation and anointing ceased there, and for 400 years until the birth of Jesus, there was no prophetic voice. And Malachi 4.2 says, But to you who fear my name... 
the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. There was something about these words of Malachi that gave her hope. Because she had heard of a man who claimed to be the light of the world. You see, the word son is S-U-N, son of righteousness. The glow, the light, the eminence of God. And this man that she heard about spoke the word of God. And healed the sick and performed miracles. Would she ever be fortunate enough? To come into the presence of this man called Jesus. And then we take up the story. Jesus is on a mission. Jairus had told of the desperate situation in his home. You know, Jesus is marching. He's going fast. He's heading that he might heal. And then suddenly in the throng there are people everywhere. And this lady with an issue of blood hears the commotion, hears the noise. And she looks and, and in her need she sees Jesus. Somehow Malachi is coming to life for her. And she wonders, there's no time to prepare. She probably never had the means or the money to make herself presentable. The gown and, and the head wear that she had would have been torn and tattered. Her hair would have been matted and the dust and, and her face would have shown the marks of 12 years of loss of blood. And here she hears commotion and she sees, uh, she sees this man, this man Jesus that she's heard some, some, what is she to do? You know, she never had the opportunity and we, we read of this in the chapter before of that woman that she was only called a sinner. Jesus went into Simon the Pharisee's home to have a meal and this woman comes in with that vial of ointment and she wants to bless, she wants to express her gratitude to Jesus and you know she had the opportunity to bathe. She would have had her best gown on. She would have had her hair washed because of what she had planned to do. She had around her an alabaster box of ointment that that was so precious that it took a year's wage to purchase. She smelt beautiful. She prepared herself. She came and she fell at the feet of Jesus. She broke the alabaster box of ointment. She wept profusely and and washed his feet with her tears. And then with her hair, she wiped them dry. You see, she had time to prepare For an encounter with Jesus, though she was criticised, Jesus accepted that adoration and worship. But this poor woman with an issue of blood, she had nothing. She was unclean. She wasn't even allowed to be in the crowd. What could she do? But she remembered Malachi chapter 4. And she remembered that there would be healing in his wings. And the word wings means extensions. 
It's a word that's used for anything that extends, protrudes. And the Jewish men would have robes. And the robe was a piece of cloth, usually square. And it was not, the threads were not cut at the corners, but they were allowed to protrude. And uh, then you would add to those threads a blue thread. And there would be eight in number. And then they would tie five knots. And that would be the tassel. That was called the tassel. That was on the hem of the garment that men wore. And she, Numbers 15, talks about the tassel. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord God to do them. And so this was a reminder and it was, it, it was an acknowledgement that the person that wore that robe believed in Judaism. Later they had them on the undergarments and today they have them on those shawls that they put around their neck and shoulders, the tassels, the tassels, the word healing in his wings, it's the word tassel. It's the word tassel and this lady somehow in her mind knowing that if she touched him she would make him unclean. But maybe the thread of blue that suggests heaven maybe somehow God would not allow her uncleanness to infect or affect this wonderful man, Jesus. And so she threw herself and she touched the tassel and immediately the flow of blood ceased and she was healed and Jesus said who touched me he didn't quite know it was that woman at that time and and the, the disciples said Lord it's, it's an absurd question there's people all around you any number of people might have touched me he said no power had come out power had been released Someone touched me. Who touched me? And that lady recognized that he knew, came, confessed. And Jesus told her to be of good cheer. You see, her uncleanness was already taken care of by Jesus. And somehow she had a perception, possibly, I may be reading between the lines, of Malachi 2, healing. In his wings. We're not talking about physical angelic wings. But the protrusion of the ministry and the life of Jesus was to bring healing to the world. And uh, the tassels really are a wonderful thing. You know, they remind you that it's good to, um, uh, you know, obey God's word. And, I, I, you know, there are eight threads and uh, they were tied into five knots uh, to give you some symbolism. 
the number eight talks about superabundance. It's a superabundant number, abounding in strength. And the five knots, five talks about grace, goodness, and favor. And I want to tell you, if you focus upon the word, that's what God gives you. And the, the men of Israel and the women of Israel, as they focused on God, there was a superabundance that could come from God. And there was great grace and favor. And you know, the Jews sometimes then had the word of God as amulets around their uh, hands. And sometimes they had, I forget, the pie, I forgot the word. They had them around their heads and they'd be a part of the word of God. The word of God was very, very important. And uh, this tassel uh, that Jesus would have worn on the hem of his garments showed his obedience and coming under and, and, and the love uh, for the word of God. Jesus said, who touched me? And uh, when we touch God in those God moments, I want to tell you it's all about you. And for a moment it seemed that history stood still. For a moment it was Jesus and that woman who had been healed from an issue of blood. For a moment, that's all that mattered. It was all about her. For 12 years, it was about everyone. She was just nothing because of her condition. But now as she faced Jesus and Jesus told her to be of good cheer, it was all about her. And I want to tell you that God wants us to come into those God moments. Those moments that we might feel like that woman. We might feel unclean. We might feel destitute. We might feel dirty. We might say, no, I'm not worthy. I really, really, it's not my time. It's not my time. But Jesus, the King of glory, stopped. Stopped everything. He had a mission. He was in a hurry. It didn't matter. He was in control that it would all be about her. And that's the wonder of the gospel. That's the wonder of Christmas. That's the wonder of our salvation experience. That when we found Christ, it was all about us. When we touch God, when we have that God moment, it's all about you. That's all that matters between God and you. I remember a service vaguely many, many years ago. It was here. And uh, it was an ordinary service. Nothing extraordinary. Someone was preaching on healing. And at the end of the service, they simply said, why don't you put your hand upon the infected area of your body and believe God for healing. Now, up to that point of time, I used to get about three septic bad throats a year that needed antibiotics. Every year. I hated it. I'd always get them for 10, 20 years. This, this was the norm. and You'd have to be pumped up and... I didn't have it at that time and I didn't think much of the service, but I thought, well, where am I sick? Yeah, I do get these sore throats. And it was kind of a non-issue. You know, it wasn't that I was fired up, I was excited. It wasn't nothing like that. 
and I put my hand on my throat. That was 40 years ago, and I've never ever since that day had a sore throat that needed antibiotics. You know, it's, it's those moments, not when we somehow feel, God, you've got to do it. Look, the good things I've done, I've really got on well with my wife for the last week. Now I'm ready. I'm ready for the blessing. It doesn't work like that. You know, there are moments when Jesus passes by and ringing out through human history to every generation are Jesus' words, Who touched me? And we can put ourselves in that position like that woman with all the frailties and all the problems and all the things maybe we don't like about ourselves and we can reach out and touch God. We do not have to procrastinate and wait for that ideal time that rarely comes. That's the wonder of Christmas. We had, there's a lovely hymn. Uh, that was written, or the words were written by Charlotte Elliot in 1835. Charlotte Elliot's brother was a minister, and the next day he was holding a bazaar to raise money for the daughters of clergy, that they could be educated, because often the clergy were so poor that there was no money for education. And, uh, and th- this sis, his sister, Charlotte Elliot, she went to bed that night and she battled with her unworthiness. She battled how God could love her, how God could do anything for her, how she could ever be of any use to God and his kingdom. And, and for the whole night, she just battled with her unworthiness. And then she woke up the next morning and she penned the beautiful poem that then was put to song. Just as I am. Just as I am. And verse 2, there's six verses, says, Just as I am. And often we use, and Billy Graham used this hymn in his crusades. But it wasn't its intention. She was expressing her heart and her feeling as a saved person. And she wrote, Just as I am, though tossed about, with many a conflict, many a doubt, fighting and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Verse 4, Just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, Sight, riches, healing of the mind. Yea, all I need in thee to find. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Verse 5, just as I am, thou wilt receive. Wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe. O Lamb of God, I come. I believe the woman with an issue of blood must have believed those words. She came, her need was met, and it was a wonderful thing that her brother did. He blessed 
God's kingdom because many of the daughters of clergy wrote wonderful poems that became some of the great hymns of the Christian church. I want you to stand with me this morning. I want you to stand. And I want you just to, in your own quiet way, say, just as I am, I come. Lord, we believe you're always close. And God, we reach out this morning and we touch not only the hem of your garment, but Lord, we're able to touch and embrace you and all that you can do for us. And Lord, regardless of where we are and maybe just that feeling that we're not worthy and and God, you won't do anything for us by sending your son. You've told us that you want to be involved in our lives. And I pray this morning, Lord, that those that might need healing, those that need deliverance, those that need a miracle, Lord, you're passing by. Holy Spirit, you can see that historical incident. By faith, we place ourselves in the shoes of the woman with an issue of blood. And we touch you, Lord, for our need. And thank you for your provision. In Jesus' name, amen.